Hi friends, and welcome to the fourth episode of The Windcast. This one is called A Reflection on Enslavement. Now that sounds a little deep, and I promise we will get to what that means soon. But first, here are a few brief updates on me. For those of you that follow my journey here in Malawi, I recently, within the last 10 days or so, released the newest version of my CMFI newsletter and just having updates, generally speaking, about what has happened over the last month. If you are someone who I've spoken to and you wanted to be on that list and you're like, well, Jonathan, I didn't, I didn't get a newsletter, I tried to mention this in a couple episodes back, but um, with... MailChimp, which is the service I use to send out all of my newsletters, it seems that some people, they will receive it, but it does not go to their primary inbox. It might go to an alternative folder that you might have set up in your email system, or it might be going to spam. So you might have to search your folders and possibly even type in something like Malawi or Jonathan into your search bar over your entire email inbox and something should pop up. So again, if you ask to be on the list and you are not receiving it uh, or you don't think you're receiving it, uh, try doing those first couple of things. And if you find it great and hopefully the email system, as we continue going, it'll recognize that this isn't spam and it will go to your primary inbox. But Anyways, I just wanted to update all of you who are wanting to follow me and get updates on a more regular basis. And speaking of newsletters, I have recently discovered that the organization I'm working for, Nami Congo, is they also release a monthly newsletter that's a little bit more broad and covers some of the other ministries and things going on here on my team. I do not have a list of people uh, or email addresses put together to receive that newsletter, so this is actually going to require you to do some uh, thinking and possibly entice you to act in one way or the other, but if you are interested in possibly not only receiving the personal newsletter that I send out once a month, but you would also like to receive the general organization newsletter from Nami Congo once a month, please feel free to send me your email address just letting me know that you would like you you would like to receive the newsletter from Nami Congo and i will gladly take that email from you and i will add it to the list i'll give it to my boss to add you to the database about just to keep you up to date about what's going on at Nami Congo and besides newsletters uh, for those of you who don't know or can't believe that it's already been this quick, but I've just finished a little, almost 10 days ago, a little bit over, my second month in Malawi. And I can't really believe it myself. Uh, things have happened and moved so quickly. A lot has changed since I've been here. A lot of good things, of course. And it's just been a very full experience, and it's a little bit crazy that I'm sitting here recording. I believe this is my third episode to record here in Malawi and be talking to all of you and sharing this moment together. And the fact that it's just, 
fact that it's just come to this point this quickly, it just is crazy, but it's been so full and it's been such a life-giving experience. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, my primary responsibility as of now is I am teaching a few courses at the Discipleship Training Institute, which is located at Nami Congo on their campus. And essentially, this is a two-year program where it's it's very similar to an undergraduate program in the sense, or like a university program where students apply, they come, it's a two-year cohort model program. They apply, they go through interviews, they're accepted, and then during the academic term, they and their families come, they live on campus, they take classes together, and I think it's about three or four classes per academic term, and they eat together, they live with each other. It's a very tight-knit community. That's kind of the model that was set up, and they do this for two years at minimum, and then they will graduate from Nami Congo, so to speak, and they will receive their certificate of leadership ministerial leadership from Nami Congo, blessing them as they go back to their homes all across Malawi to engage in the work of ministry with their new training uh, from Nami Congo and its ministers and its uh, workers here. And it's just an amazing experience. And the courses I am currently engaged with teaching right now are my, are, it's Christian history, early Christian history specifically. I think we're going to get maybe through the fourth century, if that, you know, Christian history, there's there's a lot. When it comes to history in general, it's just a lot of information, events, those kinds of things. So we're going to try to get to the fourth century or through the fourth century. And then my second class that I'm teaching is covering Paul's epistles or Paul's letters, that the letters that we understand to be written by Paul, disputed, undisputed, you know, who's to, who's to say. But covering a general survey over the historical context and literary context of these letters. And um, it's been an amazing experience. These students are incredible. And the conversations that we are able to have with one another throughout the weeks has just been, it's been a life-giving experience for me. And I hope, and I think they would say it's been a life-giving experience for them. We eat lunch together. We started this about two or three weeks ago. We eat lunch together once a week and try to get some time with each other outside of the classroom setting. And it truly is a remarkable, a remarkable experience uh, for it, and it's mutual. And I'm learning a lot and I'm growing alongside of them. And it's just so interesting to be teaching ministry in many ways in a Malawian context, in a context that I don't even know. So it's quite fascinating to be able to hear them respond and hear their questions and to process things in a new way that I haven't had to wrestle with before. And honestly, in many ways, I have to leave them with the tools to discern what they think is best because, again, I'm not Malawian. They are. And so I think they have a little bit more wisdom and insight into potentially how to contextualize the information that we are covering together. So anyways, I could talk probably at length about this DTI program that's just truly phenomenal, but I'll stop there. So for me in Malawi, you know, as far as updates are concerned, that is pretty much it. So getting to the content of this episode. Fun fact, this episode 
of the windcast marks the beginning of generating content, content that has not been planned prior to the creation of this podcast. You see, the first episode provided context and vision, hopefully answering for all of you the question, why am I doing this? And hopefully the question, to what end? Most importantly, it offered an invitation to all who are willing and able to join me in a journey of opening a safe space for ongoing reflection and dialogue. More particularly, exploring together what it means to be human. And further, what it means to engage the world as we discover more healthily and fully the totality of our humanness along the way. To be sure, this is a minor invitation and uh, maybe a minor goal, Um, yet it's an invitation to all which is channeled through my lived experience, my formation and understanding of what I and many others refer to as the Jesus tradition. Now, again, for any of you first-time listeners who hear the word Jesus and immediately scoff and want to make a quick exit, For whatever valid reasons you likely have, please, I encourage you to hang around. You are most welcome. And I hope that my words will serve to offer healing, potentially in the midst of past or present pain. The second and third episodes were an attempt to provide a narrative of my life, a very very summarized version, no doubt, to help connect how I got from where I was to where I am now, in this moment, with you from there to here. Thus, a foundation has been laid, though certainly there will be more contribution along the way, but as of now, we have enough surface area to begin the pivotal, joyous, and at times, the arduous work of building, or rather what I would call entering into the process of creation. And this is something that I hope we can do together. This episode is my first real crack, my first good stab, if you will, to begin creating and sharing content with you, ideally in the hope that it will provide a unique perspective of how this Jesus tradition has provided liberation for me and many others throughout history, and continues to do so into this very moment that we are now sharing. So, without any further introduction, here we go. A Reflection on Enslavement There is a quote I heard a little over a year ago at this point that has stuck around with me for various reasons, which I would like to begin with. Some of you who follow my ministerial activity here in Malawi might recognize the quote from the most recent newsletter I shared. So here it is again. There are two ways of being a prophet. One is to tell the enslaved that they can be free. It is the difficult path of Moses. The second is to tell those who think they are free, that they are in fact enslaved. This is the even more difficult path of Jesus. 
If you know me, you know how much I love a good quote. I am quite convinced it's my primary love language, even though it's not really in the system, but it is for me. So this, this is a good quote. So good, I think it bears repeating. So one more time. There are two ways of being a prophet. One is to tell the enslaved that they can be free. It is the difficult path of Moses. The second is to tell those who think they are free that they are in fact enslaved. This is the even more difficult path of Jesus. For those of you who don't know, these words come from our good Franciscan friend, Father Richard Rohr out of Albuquerque. Richard, we thank you for your wisdom. Now, I cannot begin to explain all the levels of why I love this quote. It's, it's a really good one. But if you heard those words for the first time and suddenly realize that you are resonating with the quote and it's continuing on in your heart at a deep level, then I encourage you to lean further into those depths, into that stirring. There's probably a reason, if not many reasons, your heart may feel nudged. As for myself, I hope to expand on one of the reasons why this phrase continues to integrate within me. I promised many of you in my freshly published newsletter that I would detail some of the old habits that I have left behind and some of the new rhythms that have taken their place. This certainly does not describe the full list of changes that have happened, but to name a few, there are things that I lost. The biggest and probably the most significant thing I have been able to let go of is the loss of streaming television. This, my friends, for me personally, has been probably one of the most liberating things I could have ever done. I think it's just safe to say that I was unhealthily consuming massive amounts of streaming. And how how do you not, right? I mean, there's there's so many streaming services to choose from. There's so much great TV out there. And I, more than most, I enjoy really good television. I love TV shows that have depth and dialogue. And man, I mean, I, I enjoy it so much. And I probably enjoyed it too much, you know? And I think... It just falling into a pattern of allowing myself to gorge on just massive amounts of media, specifically Netflix and HBO, and you know the list goes on Hulu. There's just so many again streaming services, and um, it took up a lot of my time, uh, more time than I think I ever realized, and subsequently or at least in connection to streaming TV. Uh, I had an Xbox, which is primarily how I streamed everything, but I also would play video games a lot. Uh, probably not as much as I stream television shows, but I definitely was playing uh, video games, sometimes with friends, sometimes by myself, but spending, again, large quantities of time playing Xbox, playing video games, and this connects to the fact that this, the third loss was <laughs> I avoid staying up late uh, 
way too late, in fact, uh, staying up into the the latter part of the morning. If I mean, not I should I should say the latter part of the evening to the early parts of the new the new day, which would result in, of course, me sleeping in and losing actual daytime when most people are awake doing things. I would lose hours in the day because I was up way too late at night because I was just hooked on whatever it is I was watching or playing. And so those two things I was able to let go of. So yeah, we've got the loss of streaming television, loss of video games, the loss of staying up too late, the loss of sleeping in too late also. And then something I'm starting today actually. So I, I will finish this episode and I will share it on my social media accounts. And when I do, I am going to immediately take off social media from my phone. Now, I'm not gonna permanently delete my accounts or anything like super drastic, but at least for a good while. And I I don't know how long, I'm just, I'm wanting to try to make and create more space for myself to reflect, to think, to pick up new patterns, I'm not quite sure, but I'm really excited to see what this extra space will allow to happen uh, for me. Will I'm excited to see what the space will enable me to create other things in its place. And so, shout out to my really good friend, one of my one of my best friends. His name is Taylor, and he's been doing this for years. And it's just it almost seems like an impossible task for us to accomplish. And our day and age with the technology that just consumes us and that is just right there in our pocket at all times and you know there's a lot of scientific and psychological things that go in there with you know how notifications release chemicals in our brains all these different things but I really think for me this is going to be another great thing to let go of even if just temporarily I'm not I'm not quite sure but I'm really excited to let that go also. I think it takes up a significant amount of space in my heart and in my mind. And so again, that's a list of things that I've lost, right? Uh, It's not all the things that I've lost, but it's certainly a good list. And now I'll tell you some of the things that I've been able to fill in with those gaps that are no longer there since I've been here in Malawi. Uh, Probably the most beneficial thing is yoga. I don't know how many of you have ever done yoga, if ever, if you're, if you are into yoga and you're doing it and you love it, I'm right on board with you. I think I joined the game a little bit too late, but hey, I'm here and I pretty much do not miss a morning without doing yoga. It is so, so good for me and it is just such a beautiful experience and I just love it. It's, it's fantastic for so many reasons. And thank you. Shout out to my other friend, McKaylee. Uh, she's actually married to my other really good friend that I just mentioned, Taylor. So those two have blessed me so much. So thank you, McKaylee, for introducing me to yoga. And uh, secondly, a thing that I've filled my time with here in Malawi is running. Uh, I've always enjoyed running, but I have never been able to find a consistent practice of it until I got here to Malawi, I don't know why, I think a lot of it was inspired because of my boss, Ben, shout out to Ben. He runs and 
I just felt like it was a great time to start employing uh, or implementing, I should say, uh, this practice that I really enjoy, but I just, I was doing it so inconsistently and it's been amazing. So for those of you who enjoy running, I am now a part of the Strava network and uh, it's a really cool app. It keeps track of your runs and it creates like the sense of community and you get to see what other people are doing and how, you know, their runs are, those kinds of things. It's a really cool thing. And then similarly, shout out to Ben again, my boss. He introduced me to this thing called the Wim Hof method. I will say that other than yoga, this method, this Wim Hof method, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is possibly one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. It's the, the app itself has a lot of different things on there, but one of the most beneficial things that I have started to integrate into my life is the guided breathing exercises that are a part of it. And for now, that's all I'm going to say about it. I don't want to hype it up too much, but if you if you are interested in, man, just some really grounding work, I highly, I highly recommend getting the Wim Hof Method, downloading the app. It's got some free exercises that you can try and just trying it out and just kind of see where it takes you. And I hope that it can be a tool as it has been for me to ground you and to make you feel much more at peace in your own body and connecting to all the things around you. It's, it's just a really incredible thing. So take a look when you can. One of the other habits is just instead of, again, not that I've been getting rid of social media up to this point, but instead of spending a bunch of time on my phone and that being the last thing that I do, the other habit I picked up is like a, a form of nightly reading. Uh, typically, it's fiction for me. Uh, for those of you who haven't picked this up by now, I am a huge Game of Thrones fan, and I am on my last, I'm on the last book of the series, uh, A Dance with Dragons, and Man, I, I don't know where I'm going to go after Game of Thrones ends. I'll probably pick a different fiction series, maybe Harry Potter, maybe Lord of the Rings. I'm not quite sure, but just keeping my brain at, at ending my night, I should say, with my brain engaged to another world uh, has been a beautiful experience for me. And then on a physical level, most of these things have physical ramifications, but I think one of the other things is waking up every morning, for the most part, waking up every single morning and watching the sunrise. Um, now, some of that has to do with the fact that where I'm staying in Malawi, for those of you, again, who keep in touch with my newsletters and just keep connected with me, you know, I'm staying in this wonderfully immaculate house that's just way too big for me. And the porch is such a beautiful thing in the view. I, I mean, I live in this house that's kind of on one of the highest roads on the mountain, and the sunrise is just every single morning, pretty much without fail, just one of the most beautiful and life-giving things, and that has been, I think, life-giving to me. You know, obviously just sitting and watching and observing nature do its work, and just the sun rising, and man, it's a beautiful thing. And the colors, of course, are gorgeous. Anyways, and subsequently, if I'm going, if I'm waking up every morning to watch the sunrise, because here in Malawi, it comes up almost like clockwork, 5.30 in the morning. So I'm getting up way earlier. I'm going to bed way earlier. And I'm getting, <laughs> some of you, you know, you, we've all heard it, right? But, you know, 
good sleep matters. And so being able to get consistently seven to eight hours of sleep a night compared to what I was in the habit of doing has been a game changer. And that probably has levels of health that I'm just, I haven't even, I've, I've been feeling them, but I don't even know how to explain them, right? And then, yeah, so among among other things, there are some other things in there that I've added, but those are, that's that's a general list of things that I have been able to let go of, and those are, th- subsequently, there are many things in which I described that I have been able to take up along the way. So, why am I telling you all of this? At a minimum, <laughs> you might think that I was passively boasting about all of this, and I, you know, and, So at a minimum, you might think that at a maximum, you might think I was intentionally virtue signaling. And um, I promise that neither are the case. That is is not my intention here. Please know that in sharing my journey in the last two months with you and the things that I've lost and the things that I've taken up, I am hoping to provide a narrative of how, in fact, I was enslaved when I thought to have been free. You see, reflecting back on Roar's insights from earlier, when it comes to our conversion, or you can call it a turning, or potentially what might lead into an acceptance into or a belonging to a particular religious institution or spiritual tradition, depending on how and what we are taught, we have a quick and long-lasting tendency as humans to position ourselves as entirely free. To be clear, for many, if not for all of us, I would think, there are massive shifts of transformation and liberation that take place during the initial steps of our religious or spiritual reorientation. And certainly, among other things, we experience deep levels of freedom during this type of divine shift, right? Both internally and externally. We have, without question, encountered a degree of freedom, but not freedom in the fullest. Yet, I would claim, as I think Rohr would agree, that for many of us, myself especially, we have stopped right there at the beginning of our journey. We take our newly found freedom, we join the tradition that prompted the call to freedom, and then use that very freedom to almost immediately categorize ourselves, draw lines, box ourselves in, which naturally allows us to think and act Yeah, it it naturally allows those that think and act like us to be counted in, and consequently, we begin to distance ourselves from those whom we might consider too dissimilar from us, and potentially exiling them, building walls, (laughs) sometimes literally, uh, most of the times figuratively, and we begin facilitating postures of exclusion, but ultimately counting them out. I do not think this is what Jesus had in mind in regards to freedom. 
In fact, if you are familiar with the gospel narratives, story after story, we see Jesus blurring, if not wholly eliminating, divisive lines of in and out, us versus them, clean and unclean. You get the picture. Yet, even with these stories, we seem to insist on seeing ourselves as superior to whoever does not fit into our neatly constructed frameworks of religious or spiritual identity. And I know that this is true for me, most of all. A quick story. I was, man, this was, this was a, over a year ago at this point. I had just left the coffee shop that I was working at at, at Toba, and I had just gotten a job at Beatonbow, and I don't know why, but I found myself frustrated uh, many of the mornings, and it was it wasn't like I was, you know, outwardly frustrated. It was just like this internal thing that was ticking in my head, and I couldn't I couldn't pick out why, but essentially. What was going on, especially in the first couple weeks, first couple months, and I think I shared this with uh, my friend Taylor uh, when it finally came to me, but for the first couple weeks, first couple months that I was there, I was on a new team with new people who thought very differently from me in so many different ways, and to make a long story short, my ego very quickly swelled up within me and unintentionally. I, I truly believe unintentionally, it's not like I woke up thinking this, but in the back of my mind, I thought myself to think and believe better, <laughs> to be superior than my coworkers. And once I kind of started really reflecting on it and I made this confession to my friend Taylor, I was like, man, why do we do that, right? Why, why do we do that? And, yeah, so for me, but for many of us, I think this is something that happens. And maybe when we begin to see ourselves as superior, um, again, to whoever does not fit into our neatly constructed frameworks of religious or spiritual identity, maybe... If we belong to a particular religious tradition or institution and this is the this is the way we begin carrying ourselves, maybe this is when we know that religious institutions are in their unhealthiest forms, right? Instead, Jesus seems to use his freedom to dismantle the ways we categorize ourselves from others. Inviting those who we have cast out, whether, again, literally or figuratively, and critiquing those who think they are free but are, in fact, enslaved. My point with this entire reflection is this. In our spiritual journeys, in our walks of faith, wherever we might find ourselves, whether we have been traveling for many years on this journey, or maybe just a couple of months, or perhaps just a few days, maybe, just maybe, the question we should all be asking ourselves is, how might I still be enslaved? If we are honest with ourselves, I think 
we would be able to locate numerous spaces of our lives remaining in some form of captivity. That's why I shared the list that I did. I, again, it's not a boastful thing. If anything, it's meant to describe to all of you that there were so many ways that I was enslaved, and there are probably so many other ways in which I am still enslaved and just haven't discovered yet, right? Maybe this question, how might I still be enslaved? Maybe, maybe it's a better question because it begins, if not entirely, eliminates the need to compare with or categorize others. This doesn't mean, of course, that we forget our conversions. We don't forget our turning points. We don't forget those vital moments. We don't let go of the initial gust of freedom which jolted us into the spiritual journeys that we now find ourselves in. Of course not. No. We, we celebrate and we carry those moments in our hearts all along the way. We transcend and we include, right? But... I do, I do not think we can allow ourselves to stop there, to stop at the initial steps. You see, to perceive those preliminary moments as a means to an end rather than a means to beginning, it can quickly allow self-postures of marginalization to form within our hearts and, again, intentionally or unintentionally, those postures of marginalization can begin to overflow into the world around us. Our connection with the divine, our awareness of God or spirit, or what many people within my tradition would call their personal relationship with Jesus, whatever it is you call it, in my limited wisdom, this connection is meant to free us from these harmful attitudes of segregation, not enslave us to them or perpetuate them further. No, there is something deep within all of us. We can feel it in our bones. It echoes in our hearts. Something moves us, entices us, invites us to recognize that we belong to something larger than ourselves, that perhaps we're more alike than we are unalike, that perhaps there's something that connects all of us, something mysterious, something transcendent. This, I believe, is the invitation of the Christ. His invitation is extended to all of us at all times, amidst our uncertainty and oftentimes going against our comfortability. But the invitation to risk participating in the work of reconciling our world together. So, may you celebrate and cherish the launch of your discipleship journey, wherever that is and whatever that looks like. May you consistently ask, how am I enslaved? May you no longer feel the urge to compare with or categorize others. May you move from seeing freedom as a static achievement to an enchanting process. And may grace and peace be with you, my brothers and sisters, every step of the way.